Take your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. We are finishing our series of messages today that we call This Is Us. And it's a discussion of, about who we are as a church, um, what our roles should be in church. We talked last week about finding your role in church. And then this week we're going to talk about um, expectations. And we'll talk through that in just a minute. But I want to start today with kind of a strange way to start a message on the church. Although Jesus does compare his relationship with the church to a marriage relationship. I want to start with something you've been around for a while, you've seen me do before, but I want to talk through it and then relate it to what sometimes happens with people's church's experience. And so um, I want to show you uh, kind of a graph, if you will. And some of you have seen this. In fact, I've, I've done it two or three times since I've been here in 12 years. Um, but this is about marital satisfaction. Look at that beautiful penmanship and... Uh, that was not written by a four-year-old. It was me, all right? So uh, in my defense, it was on an iPad with my finger, so that's all right. Um, and so here's the general idea behind this, this, this graph. Uh, on the left, you have the satisfaction. Obviously, the higher, the better. And down here's the time that people are married. And this is general consensus. This is not every marriage out there, but this is generally how things go. And so almost every marriage starts at a high level. Like, if you're down at the bottom when you get married, problems are coming. Amen? So they start out high. Now, I want you to notice a couple of things. That's It's not as high as it can be, but it is high, and it's short. Y'all notice that? Okay? And then this is what happens generally next. Okay? No, don't amen. That wouldn't be a good time to to do that right now next to your spouse especially. But generally there is a decline, and we'll talk about why in just a minute, in the marital satisfaction through research. Now, the good thing is, usually there's a little bump back up. Like, you get through some things, you work through some activities, and then there's a little bit of excitement in it, it comes back up, and then down it goes. That's not good, is it? Nobody raise your hand if that's where you are right now. That's not the point, all right? But here's the good news, all right? The really good news, this is a general graph. This is what happens later. Woo, all right? We'll talk about what precipitates that in a minute. And here's the really awesome news. If you make it that far, it levels out at the top. Hey, that's good, all right? Now, let me just give you some key factors in the midst of this, some general understanding. Like this is the first two to, two to usually like one and a half to two years of marriage. Um, this is when you have kids. That's, I'm telling you, that's reality, all right? This is, this is the preschool years right here, all right? Preschool years. Then there's a little increase. That's the elementary school years. And then you hit this. That's called teenagers. That's what that's called. This is research, scientific research here that I don't have a full explanation for. And then anybody know what happens here? The kids leave. That's what happens. <laughs> and all of God's people said, we love you kids, but that's coming. All right. 
So, honestly, there are a couple of things that happen, all right? And so, right here, they, the scientists, researchers have said that part of what happens here is just the emotional energy that happens in trying to parent teenagers, middle schoolers, high schoolers. It's a, it's a time they're figuring out who they are. Parents are, are going through oftentimes transition into later in life kind of stuff. It's just an emotional experience. The preschool years is just physically exhausting. Can I get an amen in the house of the Lord? Just physically exhausting. You don't have time to talk. But there's another factor that happens right here, even before the kids get physically exhausting. That is about a year to two years into the marriage, you realize that dating boyfriend or girlfriend is not the same as married spouse. Amen? That sometimes when we're dating, we put on the best possible vision of who we are. And that can only last for so long. And then you realize, oh, that's who you are, right? And there is this expectation of what it's going to be like. And when that expectation goes into daily normalcy, suddenly you're like, oh, that's different than I thought. And so the unmet expectations take you down a path of whatever. Now, I want to show you, I do want to show you just an interesting thing, too, that I say this every time I show it. I do this with every couple that I talk to in premarital counseling. We talk about this graph, and we talk through it, and I say, I want you to put it away somewhere, because they envision that it's just going to be like this, you know, just going to take off. And I'm like, it's not going to happen. It's not, all right? But I give them this for two reasons. First of all, we'll talk about unmet expectations in just a minute with the church. But studies also show that a lot of marriages that families that break up happen here and here. And if you can push through that, it gets better. This is around seven years. You ever heard of something called the seven-year itch? Okay. This is around 14, 15 years, but it's the teenage years really. And so as that kind of happens, if you can get through that, it improves. Now why do I show this when we're talking about the church? Well, the reality is when you join a church, you're joining a family. We are a spiritual family called together in this place for the purposes that God has called us to. And what often leads to people leaving a church or churches getting in trouble with one another or things happening that are, un, uh, that are not what you would call biblically sound in a church is that expectation levels are not met. Well, I would just think a church ought to. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what a pastor ought to do. Well, my Sunday school class, they ought to. My Sunday school teacher, I mean, a good Sunday school teacher would. That staff, that staff, they should. And what happens is eventually you begin to think through those things, and as your expectations aren't met, as maybe they were elevated expectations or maybe realistic expectations, you begin to get Upset, discouraged, and you begin to think about another family of believers. And so what I want to do today, using Acts chapter 2, is I want to set aside, there are going to be two parts to this sermon. The first part is, what should you be able to expect from a church? And the second part is, what should a church be able to expect from you? And when we get those two together, that's who we are as a congregation. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 41 
says this. Now, this is coming at the end of the miracle of Pentecost. Peter has gone out and preached. They have heard the message in their own language. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 41 says this. So those who accepted his message, that's Peter's message, the message of Jesus Christ, were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 people were added to them. 3,000. Verse 42, they, that is the believers, that is the church. This is the first definition of what the church was doing. This is the first definition of what a church ought to be. Verse 42 says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Verse 43, everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now, all the believers were together and held all things in common, They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Out of this passage, I want to give you five things that you ought to be able to expect from a church. If you're here and you're new or you're looking at a church, you're thinking about joining First Baptist, this is a great opportunity for you to hear what you ought to expect from a church. If you're here and you've been a member of this church for 50 years, 60 years, 70 years, you're the longest tenured member of this church, it's good to be reminded of what you ought to be able to expect from your church. Now let me say this to you very clearly. We're going to talk about biblically what you can expect from your church. Because that's the way we kind of operate around here. In fact, the first thing that you ought to be able to expect from any church that you're a part of, any church that you want to be partnered with as family, is you should expect biblical, relevant preaching and teaching. Biblical, relevant preaching and teaching. What do we mean by that? We mean biblical. I mean that it is based upon the Bible, that it comes from the Bible, that it has the entire Bible in its understanding, that we are not cherry-picking Bible verses from around there trying to put it towards something that we believe. It's not about personal philosophy. It's not about my thoughts. It's not about my great ideas That as a pastor. This is about biblical preaching and teaching. What I mean by that is in every aspect of what we do. So what I do on Sunday morning from the pulpit, we want to speak God's word. We want to sing God's word. That you may be able to challenge sometimes what we, what we do musically if you don't like the music of it, but we don't sing anything that is not biblically based here. We want to study God's word together in small groups, in our Sunday school classes, in our in-home small groups, in our connect groups on Wednesday night, in our youth Bible study, in our children's Bible study, in our preschool Bible study. I mean, we are biblically based all the way down. We don't do games. In with the, the babies have a little less understanding of what they're being taught, but they're still being taught the Bible. We store up God's words. We obey God's words. We pray God's word. We come from a belief system that the Bible is enough, that it is knowable, that it is final, and that it is necessary for us to understand. And you, whatever church you're a part of, if this is not the place God has called you to be part of a church, then find a church that is biblically based. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says that all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The word inspired there means literally breathed by God. Breathed by God. That this is His word for us. And that we're to use it for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training, so that we can be complete. 
The first church here in Acts chapter 2, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Well, what were the apostles' teaching? Where they were teaching the substance of the Old Testament and what would become the New Testament doctrines as they would write those out over the next few years. That's what they were teaching, the story of Jesus Christ, the stories of the gospel, that what we have in our hand is the essence of what they were teaching in that moment. And that's what we are committed to. But we're not just trying to be just straight biblical. We want everything to be biblically based. But we want the teaching that we do in our preschool, in our children's area, in our youth area, in our adult Sunday school, in our preaching time here. We want it to be relevant. We want to take something that was written 2,000 years ago plus and make it applicable to your life. And so that's what you ought to be able to expect from a church. I'm not saying that that's what you get every week. That's what we try to do. But that is a legitimate expectation. Secondly, you should expect opportunities to join fellow believers in living life together. Verse 42 of chapter 2 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and then to the fellowship. The word fellowship there means to the community, to the association. It gives words of intimacy. It is the idea that they were living life together, that they were walking through trials, they were walking through temptations, they were walking through celebrations, that they were doing everything they could, living life together. They were celebrating together, they were working together, they were serving together, they were evangelizing together. And what I find is interesting, when you get down, in the, get down into the, uh, the, the rest of the text down there, and we don't have this on the screen, but down in the rest of the text they say they would gather together. So they would gather together as a large group as often as they could and then break bread in house to house. So the idea is that they would come together for a large... Now, they had 3,000. It's a little larger than what we have. But they would get together for, uh, like we do with you, 350 people in here at one time getting ready to worship. But then they would break off into smaller groups because it is impossible to be accountable and to live life together in 350 people at once. Which is why it is vital if you are looking for a church that you look for one that not only has a great worship experience, one that meets needs there, biblically relevant, but that it has opportunities for you to engage in groups where you can talk with one another, you can share life with one another, you can understand one another. We do that here at First Baptist through our Sunday school and in-home small groups and connect groups and age group ministries. Our goal is to have people in places with people in similar life stages where they can have conversations that are scripturally based, that are biblically based. They were devoted to the fellowship. The third expectation that you can have of a church is you should expect a church is focused on Jesus. It may not look apparent there when you first read that, that they were apostles teaching into fellowship and to the breaking of the bread. But in the New Testament, the phrase breaking of the bread is another understanding of the Lord's Supper. Because in the Lord's Supper, what's the first thing we do? We take part in the breaking of the bread. And so if you think of it in that way, they were having communion together. They were having the Lord's Supper together. It's a reference to the Lord's Supper. It's a reference to Jesus. And you're talking about in Acts chapter 2, they are remembering what happened 50 days beforehand. Not 2,000 years, 50 days. And it says they're getting together as often as they can to remind themselves of who Jesus is, of what he did for us, of why he died for our sins, of the penalty he paid for our sins, of the reality of his resurrection and the glorious uh, resurrection that happened that gave us life and security in the future. 
and any church that you want to be a part of should lift high the name of Jesus. Should declare the supremacy of Jesus in all things. I read a quote this week from a pastor that I thought was was really good. He was talking about um, churches that claim different things. And he said, any church that is worth its salt is going to be focused on Jesus. He said, even a church that claims to be spirit-filled will be focused on Jesus because the spirit came to give evidence and glory to the one who died. A spirit-filled church is a Jesus-focused church. The fourth thing. You should expect a church devoted to prayer. Verse 42. There are four things they did. They talked about the teaching. They fellowshiped together. They remembered what Jesus had done for them. And then finally they pray. If you look throughout the book of Acts, prayer is the conduit between God and his church. Christ paid for the privilege that we have to go directly to the Father And he is interceding on our behalf at this moment. Acts, the book of Acts, is filled with prayer. It's filled with Holy Spirit action. It's filled with boldness. It's filled with miracles. It's filled with conversions. It's filled with God's kingdom expanding at an unbelievable pace. And sometimes when we look around and ask the question, why is the church of the United States, why is our church not seeing Holy Spirit action, boldness from our witness? Why is it not seeing miracles that are beyond belief and conversions happen on a regular basis? The answer to that question may be that we have churches that are no longer filled with prayer. This is an area of our church where we realize we need to give more opportunities for you as a congregation to pray. We're thankful for the prayer that is starting at 8.30 on, on Sunday mornings in the um, Dot Kids or the Women's Sunday School room right around the track of the Family Life Center. And see that grow in the weeks ahead. We're thankful for our women's ministry that is developing times for women to come and pray together during the week. And for our men's ministry that is developing opportunities on Fridays and Saturdays for men to come together and pray. But we need to be a people of prayer. And you should expect a church to be devoted to prayer. And this is the last thing, and it's not in those first four, but it is definitely throughout this and throughout the book of Acts. You should expect a church to prioritize missions. The whole outline of the book of Acts for this church is given in Acts 1.8, and we talked about this on Wednesday night in our Connect group. That X 1-8 tells us the outline of the entire book, that they would be the witnesses for Jesus Christ. They would evangelize in the name of Jesus Christ. They would share the gospel in the name of Jesus Christ in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. That is their goal, that is their mission, that is their purpose. If you have someone that calls themselves a church that is not doing missions on a regular basis, they are not a church. It's a social club or a book study It's a group of people that get together and talk about God. But if they are not actively engaged in missions, the definition of a church in the New Testament is a group of people called out of society for the purpose of telling people about Jesus Christ and spreading that gospel to the ends of the earth. If you're not doing that, you can call yourself something else, but you're not a church. With no missions, you have no church. With no evangelism, you have no church. With no mission trips, you have No church. With no mission giving, you have no church. Without taking the gospel to the nations, 
you don't have a church. That's what you can rightfully expect from your church. A biblically based, relevant teaching. Fellowship that helps you to walk alongside one another in life. Focused on Jesus Christ, devoted to prayer, and prioritizing missions. Can I tell you just something real quickly before we move to the next part? Well, what we can expect of you. If you ask people what they're looking for in a church, that's often not what you get. It's often about musical style or dress preference or location. None of those things are insignificant. Don't hear me wrong. But when it comes to choosing a church family, the most important things are those five. Does the church offer that? And if so, then you can talk about the other things. But when your top priorities are other things, then you're missing the boat biblically. So here's the second question. From the same passage of Scripture, what should a church be able to expect from its members? Now, I'm going to tell you, this may not be fair because there are six of these and there are only five of the other one. We're only going to spend 45 minutes on each, so it'll be a quick... I'm just joking. I know some of you are growling already, all right? Six things that we as a church can expect of you. And the first one seems just kind of sure, but it needs to be said. We expect you to join. If you want to be a part of what First Baptist Church is doing, if you feel like this is where God's calling you to be, then we expect you to join in the appropriate way. That means that, first of all, you have to have a personal relationship with Jesus. That's a prerequisite for joining our church. That the first step in moving towards church membership is coming to a place in your life where you accept what Jesus Christ has done for you, where you have been saved by the grace that he offers. And secondly, in our church, because of our denominational understanding and because of our church understanding and my understanding of the New Testament, we, in order for you to join our church, need you to be baptized by immersion, that's all the way under, after you've been saved. Now part of that comes from Acts chapter 2, verse 41. It says there, so those who accepted his message were baptized. And that day they added them to the church. And so there was salvation. They accepted the message. They were baptized and then they were added. You say, well, how do I do that? How do I join? Well, it's very simple. In just a few moments, I'm going to stand down front and you can come down here and tell me you want to join and we'll talk about how and I'll tell you a minute the, how, the ways you can. Or you can grab me afterwards and say, hey, I didn't want to walk down in front of everybody, but I want to talk to you about how. Simple ways. First of all, you come and say, I've never accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. I want to accept Him as my Savior. I want to be baptized. I want to be part of the church. Second way is say, listen, I accepted Christ a long time ago. I've never been baptized after that. Maybe I was sprinkled as a baby or I was baptized as a child, but it was before I came to understand who Jesus Christ is and what He meant to me and I was not saved and I want to do that. And you give a statement of faith and then you're baptized. Or you come and say, hey, I'm a, I've been saved. I've been baptized. I've been a part of another group or denomination where Southern Baptist Church, another place, and I want to join what's happening here. And the last one is I've saved, been baptized. I'm part of a Southern Baptist Church, and I just want to join here, move my letter is what they call it. So the first thing we expect from church people is to actually be a member. And there's some of you in here that need to join First Baptist Church. You've been visiting for a while. You've been coming for a while. Some of you have been coming for a couple of weeks. Some of you have been coming for a few years. And you never put your faith and trust in joining the church. There is a commitment that comes from joining the local body of believers. 
The second thing that we ask is that you show up. These are really hard here, aren't they? We expect you to be here. Now that comes Acts chapter 2 verse 46 says that every day they got together. We're not asking every day. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 says that we ought to encourage one another. And as we encourage one another through provoke love and good works, not neglecting, gathering together as some are in the habit of doing. The idea was they got together once a week. We get together at least once a week. Now I just want to be real honest with you. Part of the reason that we even have to say this anymore is because there is a trend happening in American Christianity that is frightening. At one time... If you were an active member of a church, you went to church an average of about 1.6 to 1.8 times per week. Per week. You got that? Today, if you ask somebody if they're an active member of a church and they say yes, the average times an active member of a church comes to church is 1.9 times a month. I don't know if y'all realize that's a difference. Like one and a half to two times a week to two times a month. And listen, we know stuff comes up. We don't take attendance here in worship. We don't pass the roll and have you check it off and send it to heaven so they can keep a good score on you or anything. But we need you here. If you are a part of the body that called together at First Baptist Gillespie, that means we need you here. We need you here to be able to shape what's happening here. We need you here because that means you're shaping someone else's walk. You need to be here because you need that. You need to be involved in a regular process of hearing God's word, singing God's word, being in a small group together. It is only in the confines of this, in church, not in just social groups, but in church, that you're going to get the encouragement and the accountability and the pastoral care, and the authentic relationships, and the growth that is necessary to walk as God calls you to walk. You just can't do that when you're there once a month, a couple of times when you can. One of the things that this is obviously affecting is attendance numbers across the country. Sometimes people ask about attendance numbers. Here's here's the reality. Attendance numbers across the country are down. But that simply becomes because if you've got 300 people attending three times a month, as used to be the case, just say, that's 900 people a month. If you've got 300 people attending twice a month, that's 600 a month. That's a big difference. We need you to come. But not just come. Come ready. Come expectantly. Come ready to hear and to move. Third expectation. We need you to play your role. Last week, we sent with you, those of you who were here, the shape um, diagnostic tool, the shape test, if you will, to be able to figure out what your spiritual gifts and your heart and your abilities and personality and your experience are. Hopefully, you took that home and did that. It took more than five minutes. If you sat down this morning and thought, I'm going to do that real quickly before I go to church, it takes longer than that. And so maybe you're still working through that. But our hope is that you'll figure out what your passions are, what your heart is, what your spiritual gifts are, and then you will plug into a ministry that is already happening or you will help develop a ministry that needs to happen in order to serve our community and serve the world and take the gospel to them. In fact, we want to learn some of what you've learned in this process. And so as you leave today, maybe you saw them coming in. There are three boards out there. There's one on the wall right here by the exit on my right, your left. And there are two more at the TV over on my left, your right, on the back wall. 
with just simple questions. There's nothing on there. We don't ask you to sign your name, but questions about what you discovered about yourself, surprising things that you discovered, where your heart is being shown. We expect you to find your role and play it. Here's the fourth thing. Churches can expect people to give financially. This is a biblical expectation of membership. That's always a portion, always a percentage, sometimes sacrificially. If you read the story of the first church here in Acts 2, and it's not going to be on the screen, but if you read that, it says they sold their possessions, distributed as had need. They were willing to give whatever was necessary to see the work of God continue. Malachi chapter 3 verse 8 says that God calls the people and says that you are robbing God. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. And they say, how are we robbing you? He goes on to say this in the next part. By not making the payments of the tenth and the contributions. You're suffering under a curse, yet you, the whole nation, are still robbing me. Bring the full tenth, the tithe, into the storehouse so there may be food in my house. Test me in this way, says the Lord of armies. Then he finishes this way, saying, See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. I'll rebuke the devourer for you so they will not ruin the produce of your land, and your vine and your field will not fail to produce. Then all the nations will consider you fortunate, for you will be a delightful land. We believe God owns everything. We are the managers of it, and we believe that God's activity is fueled by the giving of his people, that God provides for his people through his people, and that when you don't give, you are limiting your involvement in the activity of God. There are multiple ways you can give here to the church. You can give in the offering that we just had. You can give online. You go to our website, fbcgillisville.com, and you can give there. You can also give. I don't have the number on me, but when the, when the announcements are scrolling, there's a number that you can text to. You can give by texting. Just put whatever amount you want to give, text it to that number, and they'll set it up and do it. But we expect you to give. Last two, we expect you to pray. It's not fifth because it's fifth most important. It's first. We expect you to pray for our church. We expect you to pay people in our community. We expect you to pray for your one. We expect you to pray for our staff. We expect you to pray for our services. We expect you to pray for our ministry. We expect you to pray for your church. We talked about it earlier. It is the pipeline to God that God's power and the Holy Spirit flows through in prayer. And then number six, and this is it, this is the last one. We expect you to protect church unity and reputation. There are a couple of ways to do that. First of all is you practice forgiveness within this place. That you forgive quickly those that are a part of the same family of God that you are a part of. And the second thing is to avoid criticism and gossip. I want to read you a passage real quickly. Gossip's not one of the things we talk about a lot as a church. In fact, I thought about doing uh, like a series on gossip, but it would probably be the lowest attended series we have. Um, and we're going to talk about gossip for three weeks. Not bring your gossip, like we're going to talk bad about gossip. I want you to read, I want you to listen to Romans 1, verse 29 through 31. All right, I think we got it, we got it up there. Is it not in there? Nope. All right, I'll read it. All right, that's my, my mistake. I thought I put it in there. Romans 1. Verse 29 through 31. I want you to hear this. This is Paul writing about all the negative things that are out there. He says, And because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over their corrupt minds so they do not what is right. Verse 29. This is what they're filled with. 
All unrighteousness, evil, greed, wickedness. They are full of murder and envy and quarrels and deceit and malice. Any of that good stuff? And then listen to what is put right in there with it. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, senseless, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. Well, that's a fun list, right? And right at the center of that, the fulcrum of that, is they are gossips. Can I tell you that there has been a lot of work of local churches intending on doing what God has called them to do that has been damaged significantly by the gossip of God's people. You say, well, what is gossip? God is, gossip is speaking negatively about anyone to someone when you're not talking to that person. If you are saying something, for instance, about me to someone else that you have not said to me, that's gossip. If you say something negative about the pastor, well, the pastor, and you haven't come to me with it, that's gossip. That's unbiblical criticism. You say that about your fellow Sunday school members. You say that about staff members. You say that about church members. You say that about people that you know in the church. You say that's a big standard. It's a biblical standard. And it can damage a church's influence significantly. So what do we expect? We expect you to join, to be here, to do your part, to give financially to pray, and to protect the reputation and the unity of the church. How are you doing? <laughs> what's, it, what's, what's your role in a church? Are you filling it? Are you doing it? Are you protecting the reputation? Are you protecting the unity? Are you praying for our church? And just while we're going to have a time to respond, I'm just going to ask you to do that, to simply respond to whatever God is calling you to do. Let's pray together.